Beloved congregation, the Lord Jesus Christ, the reading of Scripture, what we find from Genesis all the way through the book of Revelation, are some main particular themes. Oftentimes we like to gravitate towards things that are not the themes that we find in Scripture. For instance, we come to Jonah, we want to think about the great fish that swallowed up Jonah, and that becomes that which eclipses that which is the real theme in God's Word. Thinking about David and Goliath, we can come to the same conclusion as well, thinking it's all about David, and it's nothing to do with the Lord, and you can moralize those type of sermons. Thinking about it, uh, I've heard that oftentimes, even on the radio, you know, the fight the, gi- the giants in your life, the Goliaths in your life. It has nothing to do with that. The scriptures speak from beginning to end about the glory of Christ. From Genesis to Revelation, it is about the sovereign glory of God in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. In Luke 24, we find the disciples on the road to Emmaus, and Jesus says that to them, that the law, the Psalms, and the prophets were written about Him. He said in John 5, you search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, but these are they that speak of Me. The Scriptures speak of Christ. They reveal Christ. We see Christ in Jonah. In particular parts. And there's always, because of the sinfulness of the prophet, of the men, there is always to a certain degree where we stop, where we realize, but there is an imagery given in the prophets of the Savior Jesus Christ. And we'll find that here in Jonah as well. But the book of Jonah is not about the great fish. It's about the sovereign God who is gracious to those who are unworthy and undeserving of the least of God's goodness. God is gracious in that He sends Jonah, the prophet, to to speak to the Ninevites and to tell them about the impending wrath, the doom that is going to come upon them because of their wickedness. That's the grace of God. To be warned. To give them something that they don't deserve. To withhold something that they truly deserve. We deserve the wrath of God, every one of us, for the wages of sin is death and the gift of God is eternal life, but all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We deserve God's wrath. That God in grace gives us Christ. He gives us the perfect righteousness, holiness, and satisfaction of Christ imputed to us. He doesn't give us what we deserve. He withholds the punishment of eternal damnation. Christ bears that in our place. So strive when you come to the teaching of particularly these type of narratives to have at the front of your mind the glory of God and not let that be eclipsed by the great fish or by Jonah or by Jonah's lament or anything else. That is secondary. That is a reality that it takes place. But that is secondary. Our salvation is secondary. What is primary is the glory of God. That God would be exalted, honored, praised, and worshipped. That is primary. Not the salvation of men. It's a secondary act of the Lord. So, remember that God is the one, and that's what we're finding here, is God is sovereign. God is sovereign. What does that mean, that God is sovereign? That means He does all of His good will and pleasure... 
in every stratosphere of life, in the entire universe of this created universe, God does as He pleases. And no one can stop His hand. No one has the power or the right When I speak of authority, I'm using that word, exousia, the right. No one has the right to question the authority of God or the doings of God, the work of God. Because of sin, man wants to question the things of God. And that just shows you how foolish man truly is. How rebellious man is to the things of God. God has the right to do with each one of us He has the right to do with every human being in this world as He pleases. Believer and unbeliever alike, all souls belong to the Lord. He owns all things by right of creation. He has created everything in heaven and on earth, and He rules with sovereign authority. That's what it means to be sovereign. I talked to an individual once, and I was speaking about the sovereignty of God, and they were not of the Reformed understanding, so I asked them, do you believe that God is sovereign? This individual responded by saying, yes. And I said, do you believe that God is so sovereign that He can save someone who doesn't want to be saved? Well, Well, oh no, He can't do that. Then I said, then you don't understand the biblical definition of sovereignty. God does His will in the kingdom of heaven and of men, and no one can stay His hand. There is no one, apart from the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit, who desires to be saved. That's the faultiness of the Arminian understanding is that there are those that are dead in trespasses and sins who are seeking God and who desire to be saved. They are not, beloved. They don't know the way of salvation. They don't understand the things of the Spirit of God. They are those that are resisting the things of God. They hate the things of God. They're at war with God. Don't confuse man seeking after pleasurable things in this world, good things in this world, as if they're seeking after God. They are not. They are running from God even as Adam in the garden. God is the sovereign one. Notice that He is the one who rules over the sailors. He rules over the ship. He rules over the wind. He rules over the waves. He rules over all of the creatures of this world and even in the sea as He creates this great fish to swallow up Jonah. God is sovereign over all things. He is gracious. He is merciful. He is compassionate. He is long-suffering. He is forgiving. But He is likewise just. And God will then punish those that do not repent and trust in Christ. We find all of this to be true. God is perfectly holy, righteous, just. Even as He is love, so He is justice. There are no degrees in God. He is not 80% love and 20% justice. He is fully, completely just and holy and righteous, as well as compassionate, loving, and kind. 
God cannot be broken up into parts. He is all of His attributes. This is the God that we worship. You and I do not have the right, we do not have the liberty to make God in our image. You understand that? God has created man as his image bearer and man then wants to turn and return the favor and wants to create God in his image. Well, I like to imagine God this way. Completely irrelevant. It is completely irrelevant how you want to imagine God. What do we get out of imagination? We get image. It's images that you form in your mind about the true and living God. You are to worship God, to honor Him, to understand Him in no other way than what He has declared Himself in His Word. That is how we are to understand our God. And our God is sovereign. One of the things that we learn from this portion this morning, beginning in verse 7, is we learn that your sin will find you out. Uh, we find this in the book of Numbers. As the Lord has said, Beware, behold, your sin will find you out. Like Moses when he killed the Egyptian and buried him in the sand, well, the wind kept blowing, didn't it? And the body was uncovered. Sin will find you out. Achan, and he took the abominable, uh, idolatrous articles and hid them in his tent. Behold, it was found out because they were defeated by Ai, and the Lord said, there's sin in the camp. Behold, your sin will find you out. It was uncovered. And the punishment, notice the, the solidarity of the covenant community and the covenant headship. Not only was Achan set on fire, he was burned to death, but his whole family was burned. Why is that? Because the Lord rooted out the evil within Israel. They were killed. They were stoned, burned, and then the stones were heaped upon their bodies. And what was that for? Remembrance. Remember. Remember what happened to Achan and his family. It would be a constant reminder to the people of God. Do we not need this? We as God's people constantly need the reminders. We have the Lord's Supper. That is a reminder to us. That our salvation is completely involves the work of Christ on our behalf. And that alone, the breaking of His body and the shedding of His blood so that we might have remission. The waters of baptism. How are you cleansed from your sin? Only by the blood and Spirit of Jesus Christ. This is a type. It speaks to us. It causes us to remember that salvation is of the Lord. We need to remember this as God's people. You also find in this portion that we're looking at is that Jonah preaches. The very thing that God had called him to do is what he was trying to escape is what he ends up doing there on the ship with those sailors. So Jonah preaches even when he's trying to escape preaching. And then you'll notice in the last portions, and maybe you don't think this is possible, but there are a number of characters in Scripture that we find this is a reality in their life. Jonah was seeking to die. He would rather die than go to Nineveh and bring the word of the Lord to them. And as we'll see, we're, we're similar. We're just like Jonah. As I said, we are more like Jonah than unlike Jonah. 
Now I know when we come to these particular texts of Scripture, we want to abstract ourselves. We want to remove ourselves from this. We want to act like, oh no, not me. Oh yes, us. You in this way and me in that way. Us, the covenant community. Now look at verse 7. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know for whose cause this trouble has come upon us. And so they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Now, what you find here in the casting of lots is in the Old Testament and even a portion of the New Testament early on, there was a way to divine God's will by casting lots. Now, how they would cast lots is, and you think about this, the, the lot is cast in the lap, but every decision is from the Lord, Proverbs 16. How they would, they had dice, they made dice usually out of sheep bones, and they could have dark sides and light sides. And when they say the, the lot is cast into the lap, what they would do is men in those times wore uh, garments that would, you know, almost like a, a poncho type of, I'm trying to refrain from saying dress, but you know what I'm saying. And as he sat down, he would stretch that portion out over his knees and then dice would be rolled in his lap. And notice, as the proverb says, that the, the, the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is of the Lord. Man rolls the dice and the Lord's will is done. The Lord makes it come up what it comes up. The decision of it is in the Lord. Think about this. There are many plans in the heart of a man, but the Lord's will, that will stand. Now, I admit to you, that is way too deep and too high for me. I cannot reach the depths of that. That all the plans of a man's heart, there are many, it's like a deep well, but the Lord's will, that will stand. It is like the Lord in creation, he speaks to the waters, thus far and no further shall your proud waves go. That's it. This far and no further. The Lord establishes. The Lord is the one who has his will to be done. So they would cast lots. Saul was, uh, they cast lots for Saul as king. Uh, the Urim and the Thummim in the Old Testament. It was a way to divine the will of God. And, and God revealed himself that way. Um, you find in the New Testament, uh, they cast lots when uh, Judas was killed to choose Matthias as the next apostle. Um, but notice that you don't find that after Pentecost. Why is that? Because we have the will of God revealed for us in the word of God. We have the completing of the canon, and therefore we don't need to cast off. Be careful of that, beloved. God has given us principles by which we are to live our lives. You are to be immersed in God's word so that when you pray, you pray in accordance with the word of God, the will of God. So I don't need to put out fleeces and all the other things. Just simply living by the principles that God gives in his word. All right. And so this is what they did. And they cast lots. They knew something was up. They, they knew that this storm that had come upon them was out of the ordinary. 
It is a storm of light they had never seen before. And so this is what they did. Notice that they had a belief in God. But since they were pagans, then they exchanged the truth of God for the lie and were worshiping creatures. They're creature worshipers, but they know of the true and living God. And yet the expression of that is in worshiping. They must worship. All people must worship. But they're worshiping the creature. So they want to know. They get the lots going. And the lot fell on Jonah. Do do you see what's going on here? Jonah is not going to escape. And beloved, as much as you want to run from the Lord, you're not going to escape. Jesus laid down his life for his sheep. And his sheep will not depart from his hand. If you wander away as one of the sheep of Christ, he will come after you. He will leave the ninety and nine and he will come after the one that went astray. You know what? I thank the Lord for that. Because all we like sheep have gone astray. It's the Lord who has laid on him the iniquity of us all. It's the Lord who comes after us. It is the Lord who seeks us out. And He brings us back to the fold. One of the things that they did in Israel, the time of literal shepherds, is that when a sheep would constantly get out through the fence, and it's a funny thing, isn't it? You're driving along on the highway and you see cows, and not, not enough sheep here, but you see cows, And they got all this pasture. Where are they trying to eat from? In the ditch. Sticking the head through the barbed wire fence to get to the grass that's in the ditch that the fence is keeping them from. You ever think about that? We are just like that. We're always stretching. We're always pushing. We're always wanting to go further than what the Lord has called us to. We press the envelope. The Lord will always bring his people back. And so, what you find then in verse 8 is they said to Jonah, notice the questions. He's bombarded. Obviously what must have happened is Jonah, and, and, and this, this is a difficulty in interpreting these texts, is that trying to read into things, be careful of that. Because I can only go as far as the text speaks. I've heard preachers say before, you've got to read between the lines. No, you do not. Because that reading between the line is your own opinion. That means zero with regards to the inspiration of Scripture. I don't know. Did Jonah go right down to the bottom and go to sleep? Did he not talk? Did he not communicate with who he was. He had said earlier that the, the, the sailors said that he had spoken to them about certain things. It seems that it didn't take him long. He went right down and went to sleep. So they began to ask him, please tell us, for whose cause is this trouble upon us? You know, Jonah's sin has found him out. Now he's there before these sailors who are angry Because their life is in jeopardy because of the storm. And it's all because of Jonah. Jonah's been uncovered. The sleeper is now awake. 
and the sleeper is being questioned, God has, it were, pulled back the covers from Jonah, and now he's exposed before these men, and the lot fell right on him. This didn't happen by chance. This happens by the design of God. Now all of you that speak that language of the pagan, you know who you are. Speaking about luck and chance and fortune and unfortune and coincidence. Get rid of that. This world is not operating on those principles. God is the one who is sovereignly in control of all things in this world. Nothing happens by chance, coincidence, fortune, luck, or any other thing. Nothing just so happens. Nothing happens out of the blue. It has all been predestined by God. And that I don't know or don't understand doesn't make it so. And it doesn't change the fact that God has predestined all things. So, speak language that is consistent with the teaching of God's word. They ask him about his occupation. And this is going to tell something to the sailors about this man. You know, what, for, what is this trouble? What, what, do you, what do you do? Are you a thief? Are you a murderer? Is that why justice is not going to let us live? That's the pagan mentality. Where do you come from? Oh, they were pantheistic. Each man had a god that he worshipped. And oftentimes, it was the God of particular elements. The God of thunder, the God of lightning, the God of the rain, the God of the drought. So get up and each man pray to your God. Maybe we can get that God placated and this storm will be over. Boy, it's a superstitious bunch. That's what unbelief does, doesn't it? It makes you superstitious. That's what unbelief does. It makes you irrational. Let me say it. Is simple that everybody can understand it. Sin makes us stupid. Irrational. Like we're a drunk man spiritually. That's what sin does to us. You don't think right. What is your country? They want to know, boiling it down, what's the, what God do you worship? And of what people are you? And notice he said to them, verse 9, I'm a Hebrew. These men at this point begin to tremble. Why is it that it says in verse 10 that they men were exceedingly afraid? Why is that? It speaks about they were afraid regarding the storm, but now they are exceedingly afraid. I mean, I'm thinking about something else here. Uh, when Jesus walks on the water and he comes to the disciples at night, and they're terrified of the wind and the waves. And Jesus says, you know, take it easy, guys. It's me. And the wind and the waves were going wild. And he says, peace, be still. And the sea must have been like glass. The wind immediately ceased. The waves immediately calmed. There was the boat sitting there. And you could hear just the little water lapping against the boat. And the text says... What manner of man is this? And the men were exceedingly afraid. Why were they exceedingly afraid? Because God incarnate was in the boat with them. They knew. They were exceedingly afraid now. 
that God was in the boat with these men. So, what do we have here? These men knew the Hebrews. They knew the God that they worshipped. How would they know? They would have heard of the Egyptians. They would have heard of the ten plagues. They would have heard of the parting of the Red Sea. Who did that? The Lord did that. Moses didn't do that. He raised the rod and the Lord used him as an instrument. It's the Lord who parted the Red Sea. They would have heard of the whole Egyptian army that came after the Israelites as they crossed over on dry ground and the Lord brought the Red Sea over top of them and drowned them all in the Red Sea. The Lord would have, uh, they would have heard of the Lord defeating those at Jericho as they marched around the city every day for seven days and seven times in the last day and the walls of Jericho fell down. The Lord was made Himself, His fame has his, been spread abroad. These people would have known. They would have known the Hebrew God. That's the only thing that makes sense to them of being exceedingly afraid. They knew the God that Jonah worshipped. He's a Hebrew, the one that fears the Lord, the God of heaven. The one who made the sea and the dry land. Notice the proclamation that Jonah is bringing here. He's telling them, this is Yahweh. This is the one who has created all things. In whom your life, your breath resides in his hand. He's sovereign over all things. He made the sea. He made the earth, the land, and all things in them you included. They knew of this God. And they were exceedingly afraid. Notice that Jonah says, I fear the Lord. This is not a fear of damnation. This is not a fear, servile fear. This is a familial fear. It's a fear of worship. It's a fear of reverence. And notice how the prophet, the one who believes, can be inconsistent. If he's truly fearing the Lord, where is his obedience? If he's truly fearing the Lord at this point... Where is his reverence? Where is his going to Nineveh to fulfill the call of the Lord upon his life? Jonah wants to turn in his prophet card and the Lord will not accept his resignation. You are going to go. There's no way that you can escape this. And yet Jonah keeps running. But he makes, he makes the statement clear. He makes it bold. He makes it visible. It's understandable that I fear Yahweh. And he is the one who has made the sea and the dry land. The men were exceedingly afraid. When you're exceedingly afraid, you lose your breath. When you're exceedingly afraid, adrenaline is pumping through your body like nobody's business. I don't know if you've been there before. You've been frightened to that degree where you become speechless. Your breath is taken from you. These men were in that state. They don't know what to do. They were terrified. Uh, Gadal is the Hebrew term. It is something out of the ordinary. It goes above and beyond anything that they'd ever experienced before. That they are having to deal with Yahweh, the God who has created all things, and they recognize that it's Jonah's fault. And so the men, being exceedingly afraid, said, Why have you done this? You know, Abimelech said the same thing to Abraham. Sarah, he wanted to take, Abimelech wanted to take Sarah as his wife. Uh, uh, Sarah was a beautiful woman to behold. And when she came into this portion of the land, they saw her, they took her to Abimelech, and he was going to make her part of his harem of women. 
But in Genesis 20 it says, But the Lord kept Abimelech from sinning against him. And then Abimelech said to Abraham, Why did you do this? Isn't that us as Christians? We say we trust the Lord, but we don't pray. We say we believe the word of God, but we don't read it. We say we desire to honor him, and yet we sing songs that are inconsistent with truth. We say we love the Lord, but we don't evangelize. We do the same thing. Why do we do that? Do you think that the difficulties that come upon this world happen by chance? You know, that's not the case. But do you think that the church has anything to do with the difficulties that come upon this world? We don't speak truth. We're not bold in our God. We say God has all power, all authority. He is a sovereign one who upholds all things, but we don't stand strong in the Lord and the power of His might. We're fearful. One little virus comes and we run for cover like nobody's business. We're afraid. We tremble. And yet the scriptures tell us that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love, of power, and of a sound mind. But we certainly don't betray that to the, uh, the watching world. Just the opposite. Shouldn't the world be saying this same thing? Why did you do this? What have you done? We don't tell people about the salvation that is in Jesus Christ. War, rumors of war, trials, tribulations, persecution, the hand of the Lord coming against the things of this world, and the church has remained silent. Why do you do this? This is what we find here from the pagans. Why have you done this? These men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Now, I want to say this, beloved. Are you running this morning? In every congregation I've been in, there's runners. Now, you may be running because of sin. And in that running, you fail to be faithful in your worship. You fail to be faithful in your Prayer, prayers to the Lord. You fail to be faithful when we have the Lord's Supper. You fail to be faithful in the gathering of the people of God. You don't read the Word because it brings too much conviction. You are running from the Lord. You are just like Jonah. You are declaring that I love the Lord, but your actions are demonstrating what is truly going on in your life. I have heard people say to me before that so-and-so doesn't come to worship when things are difficult in their life. Like you're doing God a favor by coming here and being in worship, it's your duty, beloved. It is your duty to love the Lord in this way and to honor Him by dedicating one day in seven to gather together to corporally worship the Lord in the spirit of truth. This is what we are called to do. It is a blessing that God gives to us. To honor His holy name. And when we don't do it because of sin or something other, entertainment, pleasure, you're running from the Lord. And you are behaving just like Jonah. And so when we read this, well, I don't do that. You certainly do. And I do as well. God calls us to certain things. Let me ask you this. Has somebody wronged you? 
Have you forgiven them? Have you gone to them and have you reconciled with that individual? Are you holding a grudge? Are you afraid to speak the truth? You're running from God. Are you letting the Word of Christ dwell in you richly? Then you're running from God. Are you praying and giving thanks continually to the name of the Lord? Then you're running from God. For some reason, some shape, some form, you're running from the things of God. And we're just like Jonah. To this we come and we ask, Lord, forgive us. Lord, forgive me for knowing your will and not doing it. For knowing your will and being afraid of it. For knowing your will and marginalizing it. This is what Jonah was doing. Verse 11 says, and so they said to him, what shall we do to you? We don't know what to do. How do we appease the wrath of God? Clearly he is angry. And you can see that he's bringing the vengeance. He's bringing the wrath. And it's affecting us. And we don't want to perish here in the sea. Now, this is where I said Jonah is a type. A fallible type, but a type of Christ. About him going into the sea to save the sailors' lives. The one for the many. Christ came, the one, gave himself for the lives of many. But I can't help that Jonah, Jonah didn't have this in mind, particularly to save these men. I think Jonah was depressed. I think he was so miserable at this point in his life that he wanted to die. Now, some of you are of the opinion that Christians were never in that state. Well, let me tell you, biblically, you are incorrect. Moses wanted to die. When the Lord brought his anger against the children of Israel and they cried out to him, and Moses cried out to the Lord in Numbers 11 and says, Lord, if this is the way that you are going to treat me in this, kill me. Take my life. Elijah wanted to die and he prayed the Lord to kill him. Job cursed the day of his birth. He wanted to die. Rebekah did the same thing. Jacob did the same thing. He wanted to go down to death in the morning of his son Joseph. Jeremiah wanted to die. Beloved, we find these things that happen in Scripture where they can be exceedingly depressed and discouraged in the work. And they wanted to die. And the Lord withheld them from death. But we have emotions, oftentimes sinful. We can become confused, irrational. And we cry out in this way, and hey, Lord, kill me. I don't want to live anymore. I can relate to that. So, Jonah said, just toss me into the sea. You know, let's be done with this. Once for all, death by drowning, cast me in, and I'll just keep swallowing the water until I'm dead. The sea was growing more and more tempestuous. He said, pick me up and throw me into the sea, and the sea will become calm for you, for I know that this great tempest is because of me. And Jonah knows. We know. We know the things that come upon us. 
And we know it's a result of our sin. We know it's a result of our running from the Lord. And beloved, what's absent and glaringly absent from the life of Jonah in the beginning is prayer, is reflection, is counsel. He doesn't do any of that. He doesn't seek any of that. He just gets on his horse and he runs. We do the same thing. We avoid the counsel. We avoid going to the Lord in prayer. We avoid reflecting. This is given to us as an example as well. Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 10, Romans 15, the things that are written before are written for our example and for our learning. Learn from this. You cannot outrun the Lord. You cannot hide from the Lord. You cannot go anywhere where the Lord's Spirit isn't. So, why waste the time? Why be futile in your running? Why waste your money? It's just, it's so much easier to submit and confess. And here's my prayer. Lord, there are things that you call me to do. And I don't like them. Make me content. Make me content. Because I confess at the moment I am not content. Lord, make me content. That's the prayer. Make me delight in your will. Teach me, guide me, direct me, undergird me, strengthen me. Lord, make me content to do your will. Because your will alone is good, is righteous, is holy, is perfect. Direct your prayer, beloved. When you find yourself on the run from the things of God. From not witnessing to your neighbor. To not witnessing to your co-worker. To not speaking of them the things of Christ. To hear the blasphemies of the Lord and to not speak up. To hold your tongue. That's not the time to hold your tongue. It's the time to speak up. Pray that the Lord will give us greater compassion and love for the unbelieving world all around us. That we will reach out with the love of Christ. You know, it's interesting. And I just just mentioned this in conclusion. Notice that Jonah said, pick me up and throw me into the sea. And here are these pagans who knew he is the cause of all their tribulation. They don't do it immediately. Notice that they, they rode harder to return to land. They don't want to kill him. They don't want to throw him over to be drowned. Isn't it the case that sometimes in this fallen world we can see pagans acting with more kindness than believers? That's a sad fact. But that's true. You can see more empathy towards those who don't know the Lord in salvation. More long-suffering patience, kindness. Now, it's a natural thing, not a supernatural thing that the Holy Spirit gives, but it goes beyond what many Christians. You see unbelievers speaking about the things that they believe, throwing their worldview at us all the time, which cannot save, and yet they're speaking about the things that they believe and are passionate about, and here we are, we're passionate about the Lord, but we speak not. Pray. Pray that we wouldn't run from what the Lord calls us to, but that we would run to the things that the Lord is calling us to, that He might be honored, 
glorified and praised in the church. This is what we are lacking to see in Jonah. But this is an example of how we are to live. Contrary this example, because so often we're just like this. Pray, beloved. Pray the Lord works in us against that type of a spirit. Amen. Shall we pray?